You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Get your Bibles ready, get an amen ready, and let's uh, welcome the preacher tonight. Brother Spear, you come, and let's give him a Victory Baptist welcome as he comes tonight. I love you, brother. Thank you, so thank you for you. Thank you, sir. Well, amen. Turn your, in your Bible to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. I grew up in the western part of Nebraska. It, people ask me all the time, what, what part of Nebraska are you from? I tell them the Wyoming part. <laughs> that's, tr- that's the truth. My grandfather's west border of his property was the Wyoming border. <laughs> so we came from the Wyoming part of Nebraska. And out there, we, had, we didn't have running water until I was about a sophomore in high school. And so we had to go out and pump it up. You know, and sometimes those old pumps don't work. Did you know that? They don't always work. Sometimes you have to prime the pump. You have, you have to take a glass of water or a cup of water or something and pour it down there. And it, you just got to prime it before it'll work. Well, that's kind of the way it is with me. The only way I can preach is I have to do a ditty first. Some people call me the ditty preacher. <laughs> but I figure it's, it's scriptural. You know, even one of the disciples was called Didymus. Well, anyway, would you like to hear a ditty? I don't, you're not very enthusiastic about ditties. <laughs> I, I probably don't have all the right kind of ditties, but uh, I, I happen to have one that my granddad used to sing. Uh, that's kind of how I grew into this ditty thing. Was I, I used to hear my granddad sing them all the time. I was preaching for several years before I realized I could use ditties in preaching. <laughs> and uh, anyway, this is, a, this is a ditty that my granddad sang that's just perfect for y'all, y'all in the South. By the way, I don't live in Nebraska now. I live in Texas. Is that okay? Oh, okay. I got, I got a little, got a little more response there. Well, here's a ditty. Bill, he had a gal named Sal, and she was from the south. Her mom, she curled her hair so tight she couldn't shut her mouth. Oh well. As I was walking down the street, a billboard caught my eye. Ouch. The advertising written there would make you laugh and cry. The sign was torn and tattered from the storm the night before. As I read the message there, well, this is what I saw. Chew Pepsi-Cola, chewing gum, drink Wrigley Spearmint Pop. Can old ration dog food keeps your wife's complexion tops. Chew chocolate-covered mothballs, they always satisfy. Brush your teeth with life boy soap and watch the suds go by. As I recovered from my shock, I went upon my way. I'd gone no further than a block when there, to my dismay, another billboard met my eye, and like the one before, the wind and rain had done its work, for this is what I saw. Oh, take your next vacation in a brand new Frigidaire, and learn to gargle Santa Flush to beautify your hair. The actors all use Ajax to take their makeup off. Drano concentrate, my friend, will... (coughs) Really fix your cough. The doctors say that babies shouldn't read until they're three. And people over 35 should bathe in Lipton's tea. Remember that, Pastor? Oh, you can make the whole wide world a better place today. Just buy a CD of this song and 
throw it far away. <laughs> Acts chapter 7. I can tell you don't like ditties, so we'll see if you like the Bible. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 51. We're breaking right into the middle of the story. <clears throat> this is the story of Stephen right before he was martyred, right before he was stoned to death. Look at verse 51 of Acts chapter 7. This is what he said to the leading people of the religious people in Jerusalem, the Jewish, the Jewish leaders. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom you, ye have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. But when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord! Lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. You saw the story. You've heard it before. The Bible says that they laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. They threw their clothes down at the foot of this young man who is standing there watching the proceedings. They picked up those stones and they began to stone Stephen. The Bible says they stoned Stephen calling upon God. I want you to follow this guy who's standing here beside this, these clothes. I want you to consider that first of all, the Bible shows us that he was just sightseeing. There's probably some of you like that here tonight. You didn't come for any particular purpose. You sure didn't come to hear some guy sing some stupid ditty. You didn't come for preaching. Maybe you're not even sure why you came. You're just sightseeing. See, I believe that here the Bible shows us <clears throat> that this man could not remain the same. He stands there. The Bible doesn't tell us that he picked up any stones. As far as we know, Saul never touched a stone. He just stood there and watched while the others picked up those stones and pelted Stephen. And Stephen began to sink down with one stone after another hitting him. Saul just watched. He was sightseeing. He was protecting the coats. He was on the fence. 
He saw Stephen with a heart for God. Not a halfway heart, but a 100% heart for God. And Stephen, he heard Stephen say, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. But I want to say to you that Saul could not remain the same. He could not remain neutral, and neither can you, neither can I. At no point in our lifetime can we remain the same. I believe that there are many people who sort of float through life thinking, I'll just, I, I'm not going to change. I'm going to stay the same. I'll, I'll just be this way. This is, this is, my attitude is fixed. I'm not changing. They can holler at me they, all they want to. They can come knock on my door all they want to. I'm not changing. I want you to see the second phase of this man's life. Look with me at chapter 8. Skip over to chapter 8 and verse 2. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Couldn't remain the same. And so he moved to the next phase of his life, which was slaughtering. Look at chapter 9 and verses 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto, unto Jerusalem. He couldn't remain the same. He started out sightseeing, but then he began slaughtering. I remember when I was a kid hearing preachers preach about this passage, and I had this image in my mind of Saul on the road to Damascus. He's running up that road to Damascus, and I could just see the fire snorting out of his nostrils. <laughs> I don't know if it really was, but he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, it says. I was a prison preacher for several years. <clears throat> I was a chaplain at a prison in T Kentucky with the Rock of Ages prison ministry. <clears throat> I was in the Northwest Correctional Annex, which is located right on the New Madrid Fault. Better pay attention when they teach you your geography in school, you know. I didn't. I had never heard of the New Madrid Fault. I had heard of the San Andreas Fault. You know, everybody knows that California is just about to fall into the ocean. You kids know that you're going, going, out, going, out, going out there to college, you know. You, you know it's all going to fall into the ocean, right? Well, that's the San Andreas Fault. But let me give you a little bird of comfort. They say that the New Madrid Fault is more likely to go than the San Andreas Fault. The last time the, the, the New Madrid Fault moved was the year of 1812. Really, there were only Native Americans living in the area. Very few of the settlers had come yet. And when the New Madrid Fault moved, the Mississippi River ran backwards for four days. It created a lake where a lot of fishermen liked to go fishing at the Real Foot Lake, a lake that had never been there before. And the prison where I worked was right on the edge of Real Foot Lake. 
which means that it's right on the epicenter of the New Madrid fault. Everybody in that prison has a death sentence. And any time, any time somebody pushes the button marked New Madrid fault, there she goes. Well, I got there and I was a chaplain. We had a Bible Institute. The man before me had started the Bible Institute inside the prison. <clears throat> Two nights a week I taught the Bible. Every Sunday night I preached in the chapel. I got to know a bunch of the men. We ended up having between those who were on correspondence and those who actually attended the classes, we had an average of 58 men enrolled in the Bible Institute over a five-year period, five-and-a-half-year period, really. During my time there, I got to know a fella. <clears throat> Didn't find out about this until I'd known him for a little while. He started coming, and he would come sort of spasmodically, but I would go into the housing units and visit these guys. And as I visited with this man, <clears throat> I learned that he was from probably one of the most famous churches in his state. He was not from Tennessee. The crime that he had been sent to prison for was committed in Tennessee, so he was in a Tennessee prison, but he was not originally from Tennessee. He came from a, a church. If I were to name the name of the pastor that had been his pastor, you might well know him. He was a very well-known pastor of an independent Baptist church. This young man went through the Christian schools at that church, went through the youth group, but he told me, he said, you know, I just didn't want to be involved in any of that. He said, I didn't want to do any of it. He said, I couldn't wait to get out. He said, because all I want to do is mess with horses. So as soon as he got out of high school, he moved to Tennessee to work with the Tennessee walking horses, Shelbyville, Tennessee. Got a job. Hadn't worked there very long when somebody offered him a part-time, on-the-side kind of job. Not a hard job. You only have to work maybe, oh, one night every couple weeks, three weeks, something like that. All you have to do is load some stuff onto an airplane. When you get to the destination, you load it off the airplane. Money's really good. He did it. They were delivering drugs. One night there was a sting operation. <clears throat> he was in far enough that he knew that a prominent law enforcement officer in that area was the kingpin of the drug operation. He also knew that in cahoots with that law enforcement officer was a judge, and when he went before the court, it was that judge who ruled on his case. The newspapers said they took care of that drug operation. They sent this boy from an independent Baptist church to prison. He was the only one. He took the fall for all of them. You can't remain the same. You can't remain the same. He thought, he thought he was just going to make a few extra bucks. He thought, hey, I'm not really doing drugs myself. I'm not really pushing drugs myself. I'm just, I'm just loading an airplane. But you can't remain the same. 
Months went by. One night, a fellow that I had, I had been after trying to get him to come to chapel and trying to get him to come hear me preach. I'd actually visited a, a church in, in, a, in another city in Tennessee, and, and uh, I'd been there for a Bible conference, and I just sat in the back, and, and uh, they had the preacher stand up and introduce themselves, and I told them who I was and that I was in that, working in that prison. And as a result of that, a Sunday school teacher came over to me after the, after the service and said, are you in such and such prison? I said, yes. She said, would you go visit this boy? And she wrote, wrote, a, wrote out the name. She said, this boy was in my Sunday school class. She said, I can't believe that he did what he went to prison for. He was such a nice boy. She said, I never had any trouble with him. He was always, he, was, he, he came to Sunday school faithfully. But she said, they say he did it. Could you go talk to him, Brother Spear, and see what you can do with this boy? So sure enough, I went. He wasn't there when I got back. But it was only a matter of a few weeks, and he was processed through, and he came in. I met him out on the yard one day. I agreed with her. Honestly, if I had him here and had him stand up and said, this boy's from the Bible college. You guys are about to go visit one of those Bible colleges. He's from the Bible college. You'd all believe it because he was clean cut. He looked sharp. He's dressed in his prison uniform. I never could get him to come. He'd always promise me, yeah, I'll come, I'll come. I told him, your Sunday school teacher, uh, Mrs. So-and-so, asked me to contact you. Yeah, he said, I remember her. But he never would come. He never came to any anything. Until one night I looked out on a Sunday night and Lo and behold, there he was. And so, boy, I, I preached as best I could. And when I finished the service, he was one of the first ones to come and talk to me. I thought, hey, something's happening here. But here's what he came for. He said, hey, could you go visit my celly? My celly is, uh, needs to talk to you. I said, who's your celly? And he told me the name, and I realized it was that boy who grew up in an independent Baptist church, whose daddy was a deacon. It was that guy, the guy who had come so spasmodically, and now I hadn't seen him. I thought, I thought, oh, he must have gotten transferred to another prison. They moved prisoners around a lot, and I thought he, he, he probably got taken to another prison. Soon as I could, I called up Central Control and I said, Miss Chaplain Spear, I want to go over to such and such housing unit. Can I go over there? Yes, sir. <clears throat> I went, I rang the bell, officer in charge came and let me in. I went inside and I said, I'd like to talk to so-and-so. He, he went to get the man. We sat down at, at a little table. And this man who had grown up, the son of a deacon in another state, said, well, chaplain, he said, I knew you'd come looking for me sooner or later. So he said, I had my celly come and tell you that I needed to talk to you. He said, I've got to talk to you. I'm just going to tell you I'm not coming back to any of your Bible classes and I'm not coming back to chapel ever again. I said, why? What happened? 
Did I say something? Did I, did I offend you? Nope. He said, I like what you do, and you're doing fine. But I'll never be back. I said, why is that? He reached in his pocket and pulled out a wallet, opened the wallet, took out a color picture of perhaps one of the most beautiful young ladies I had ever seen, laid it on the table. I said, who's that? He said, that's my daughter. Her druggy boyfriend killed her two weeks ago. I won't be back to chapel and I won't be back to the Bible Institute because as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to kill him. I think if you'd asked him a few days before, do you think you'll ever be a murderer? He said, no, not me. <laughs> man, that's a fluke that I got in prison. Man, it wasn't really even my fault. He would, have, he would have had a story to tell you. But you can't remain the same. Little by little, the devil worked it around until he said to me, don't chase me down, chaplain. I wanted you to know straight from my mouth, I won't be back. So Saul went from sightseeing to slaughtering. But thank God he didn't end up there. He ended up, as you know, becoming a great soul winner a great church planter. It was the apostle Paul. Saul became Paul, and we read in Philippians 3.8, he said, Yea, doubtless, and I, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know that it was that Paul, that Saul who became Paul, who could not remain the same, who took a turn. At first he was sightseeing, then he began slaughtering, but thank God he turned around and eventually became perhaps the greatest soul winner of the New Testament. Some years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in a small town in Nebraska. <clears throat> a town so small that it has no paved road, no paved street in the entire town. There's no paved road that comes into it, no paved road that goes out of it, no paved road in the town. There's no hotel there. There's no cafe. It's a very small town. They do have a church, and I was preaching. One night... I saw some people realize that they couldn't remain the same. It wasn't a large crowd. It was a rather small crowd, actually, and I had preached for several nights there already. This was toward the end of the week. And when I gave an invitation, this couple, I learned later, 78 years of age, both of them, came down the aisle holding on to each other. I came down off the platform and met them, 
said, why, why are you coming? And they said, we came to get saved. We took them into a side room because they were hard of hearing. We felt like we needed to be able to make sure that they could hear everything we were saying. We ended up in a side room, and I visited with them for a while afterward with the pastor. And this is what they told me. When we were newlyweds, I don't remember how old they said they were, but in their early 20s. So 50 years, more than 50 years before, they said, you know, we went to a revival meeting and we knew we should get saved. We knew that that, that message was for us. We knew that we should have walked the aisle. We knew that we should have responded, but we walked away. And down through the years, every once in a while, we have a conversation. We should have, we should have got saved back then. And they said, we don't live in this town. We live in another town about 15, 20 miles away. But we saw there was an ad in the newspaper that this church was having a revival. And we sat down and we looked at that ad and we said, we're going to go. And if they give us a chance to get saved, We're going to get saved. They both agreed. You see, sometimes it doesn't turn out disastrous. Sometimes, like with Saul, he started on the wrong road and he was headed in a hurry the wrong way. Thank God he made an about face and God greatly used his life. You can't remain the same. Where is it you are right now? Have you been saying, we really ought to have a family altar at our house? We ought to read the Bible together. We ought to pray together. You've said it maybe several times. But the devil fights it. He doesn't want that to happen. You've made up your mind about various things. But then you let it drop and you didn't follow through. I'm here to tell you, you can't remain the same. I'm here to tell you that you will not remain in the position you are in now. You have to step out and take a stand and move forward with with the Lord or you will go the other way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would touch hearts in a way that I cannot. I ask you, Lord, for people who, for couples, families who do not have family altar, for individuals who are not having their own personal devotional life, for folks who have said again and again, I'm going to learn how to be a soul winner, for folks who have said, I'm going to get a pocket full of tracts and I'm going to talk to people about Jesus. But they've just not followed through. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.